This is Barry Adams. Welcome to my podcast number two on Law Made Easy. This is The Pitfalls of Probate. Let's start with an idea. What is probate? A concept. Well, probate is actually a court proceeding. What does that mean? Well, that means somebody has to go down to the courthouse and file something. What do they file? They file a petition for somebody to be appointed as the executor. And they file the will, if there is a will. So let's talk about that. If somebody files a petition to be appointed as your executor, the court, after a hearing, appoints your named executor and admits that will to probate. Admitting a will to probate means this is a genuine will, this is your last will, and it's something that's going to be carried out in legal effect. It also means that the provisions of your will regarding the dispositions that you make made in there are going to be carried out by your executor. Those dispositions such as personal property, uh, where is your real property and your money going to go? They're then carried out by your executor under court supervision. That all sounds fine, I know. The court, as an overseer of your executor after he or she is appointed, ensures that all the claims are made and paid. So in other words, if you owe somebody money, they have to make a claim, and then your executor has to pay it. Taxes are paid, whatever taxes might be owed to the government. It could be your state or federal. And also the attorneys and the executors get paid. Everybody gets a fee in this uh, beautiful thing called probate. The court itself is paid. In many states there's quite extensive uh, court uh, fees for such a things as filing fees. There's also publication fees, lodging of a will fee, and then a fee many times for each petition that uh, is filed. It just so happens in, in my county... Uh, Every petition that's filed here costs $465. That's just the court's filing fee. So there's a lot of expenses that add up. Also, there's uh, the attorney's fees and the executor's fees. In California, where I practice, those fees are also quite high. The uh, attorney's and executor's fees are the same for what we call ordinary services. 4% of the first 100000 3% 3% of the next 100,000, 2% of the next 800,000 and so on. Well, that means that if you have a million dollar estate, you're going to be paying a very significant probate fee uh, of in a, of somewhere in excess of $20,000. That's a lot of money. So if you pay both your executor and your attorney 22 or $3,000, that's 46,000. Plus, you're going to pay these fees. It gets very expensive for your uh, beneficiaries. All right, if you don't have a will, you still have to have probate. The difference between the dying with a will, of course, is um, that instead of an executor, the court would appoint an administrator. The administrator really has the same legal standing as an executor, uh, and will do the same basic things uh, that an executor does. The difference is that an administrator has to follow the state law on intestate succession. 
That's a fancy term. It just means dying without a will, but it also means that the state is deciding the disposition of your assets. That may be no big deal. Maybe you have a wife and everything's community property, and in a community property state, everything would go to her um, that it was community property. However, it can get tricky. If you had separate property and you had a wife and kids, part of that would go to your wife and part would go to your kids. That would be particularly bad if you had minor children and it would create a little bit of a tension and conflict between your wife and kids uh, in, in determining these assets. It also adds to the expense uh, because guardians would have to be appointed for the kids. So important to have a will. But like I say, if you don't have a will, you're still just going to have to go through probate and you're going to have to... Uh, you or your, fam- your family, you'll be dead, unfortunately, but your family will have to live with the rules that the state has on where your property is going to go. So, most states, you can do a handwritten will. If nothing else, if you do nothing else, if you get nothing else out of this little podcast but that, at least do a handwritten will. Um, like I say, in California, you can do a handwritten will as long as it's dated and it's in your own handwriting. Uh, it's fully effective. You don't need witnesses. Uh, just put it in a safe place. Let somebody know you have one. And other states vary um, <clears throat> on the validity of a handwritten will, but in most cases they are uh, actually legally effective. All right, so why is probate so bad? Let's, let me count the ways. It's costly. I've already talked about that. There's delays takes a while to get an executor appointed. You have to get on the court's calendar. And don't forget, the courts are part of our government. And like everything else, funding isn't that good. People are being laid off and not hired. And it takes a long time to get court dates. Well, you, you're some, somebody dies, you need to get access to their funds. You can't do that with probate until someone is appointed as executor or administrator. You may need to pay for the funeral and other expenses. This is just all adds to the reasons why probate isn't really the way you want to go. The probate period can be anywhere from four to five months. That's the shortest, really, uh, to several years. It can drag on. Um, It certainly can be difficult on all the family that you leave behind to have to go through this period. Also, there's a public record of all your assets. Part of the probate, um, the executor or the administrator has to file documents with the court showing what you owned, and they also have to get that valued. So the entire amount of your assets are right there for public record, and you're also going to have to put in the public record who gets them. So if you had a million-dollar estate and you split it between your two children, well, if somebody wanted to look there, they could see that, your kids just got a half a million dollars each. That can make them vulnerable to um, potential people taking advantage of them. And it also just is generally a bad idea to have that all, uh, all your assets, all the wealth that you've um, found a way to keep after paying the tax man and everybody else and pass on to your children uh, for that to be out in the public view. Uh, as I said, um, There's a lot of people involved in probate. The courts involved, attorneys, appraisers, executors, they all must be paid and they all um, can cause delay. 
the attorney's fees that I discussed are generally higher because of the um, rather more so than the alternatives to probate because of needed documents that need to be filed as court oversight and just a general uh, need to follow the formal court procedures. So your family isn't able to handle the administration of your assets and the distribution of your assets on its own if there's probate. The court dictates what must be done, and the state dictates what must be done. The flexibility amongst the beneficiaries to do things their own way and do things in maybe a family way that is uh, cost-effective and fair to everybody is really taken away by the formality of the process and the need to follow the rules. That's why probate is something you really want to avoid. So let's talk about the alternatives. First major alternative to probate is really the living trust. A revocable living trust is um, a document that's prepared generally by an attorney and signed by one or two people. Either if you're single, you do it yourself, or if you're a couple, uh, however that may be, partners or married, um, you would sign this document together if you had joint assets. And so you prepare this document, and the document would then um, dictate several things. Who's going to get your assets? What assets are out there? And it's also going to dictate um, uh, who's in charge, who's the trustee. So it's it's similar to a will. It's more, it's, it's always longer and more detailed because it's a creation of, of a lot of rules. Uh, and it also has to dictate what happens during your lifetime and after you die. So it's, it's since it's a living trust, you transfer the assets while you're alive, and there are rules that need to apply to the assets while you're alive. Now, you create those will, rules, and you can revoke, amend, do anything you want, really, while you're alive, and generally speaking. That's a broad brush, but generally speaking. But after you die, usually all or a portion of this trust becomes irrevocable. So what's important about putting this living trust together? You need to make sure you transfer assets to the trust because the reason it avoids probate is that the trust lives on after your death. It's able to hold your assets and to be managed by another person after you die. A will is not. A will is speaks at your death and is then uh, a your assets are are then dictated by the rules of probate, as I said before. But the trust lives on, but only lives on as far as the assets that are transferred to it. So therefore, the transfer of assets is very important. It needs to be done during your lifetime on almost all of the assets. That includes deeding of real property, actual account transfers of bank stock, and other financial accounts. So this is a very important part of the process and something that you need to work with your attorney on. The trust gives your family an opportunity to take immediate control of your assets after your death, to pay your bills and take care of your estate, to pay the gardener, to pay the funeral home, to pay caregivers, to pay the last uh, your last medical bills, whatever might need to be paid. That's not the case with probate, and that can create a lot of stress on people. They're the funeral home, picking out your Cadillac casket. And guess what? 
They might have to get you a Volkswagen because they're going to have to put it on their own credit card. And, and that's just not the way uh, that your grieving loved ones should have to be treated. Take care of it. Do a living trust. The other issue uh, that comes up with trust is as high as I am on trust, and I think they're very good in general, and I highly recommend them to any of my clients who have assets, is that they're, uh, you need to make sure you select the right person to be your trustee. And the reason for that is because there is no court. There is no court to oversee the trustee. And therefore, you need to have an appropriate trustee, somebody who's trustworthy, that's going to make sure that the assets get to your people, is going to make sure that you all your bills are paid, and do their job. They also have to be available and willing to do this job as well as qualified. So that's important. And uh, I'll talk more about that in another one of my podcasts. I'm not going to go into depth there. Other alternatives to probate or at least ways to get money to your heirs without having probate uh, would be joint tenancy. You can put your assets in joint tenancy. You can take your real property and add all of your children to it. You can do those kinds of things. You can put them on your bank account. You have to be really careful uh, about doing that because there's often tax consequences. Furthermore, once you add somebody, uh, and I've seen this happen many times, unfortunately, they become a co-owner and their rights are equal to yours in general. So therefore, if you put them on a $100,000 bank account because you want to make sure your your child gets the asset and can pay your legal bills or your um, medical bills, whatever bills you may have, uh, when when you die... Um, they're now a co-owner of that property. Well, they could take the money out the next day. If they have a tax lien or they get in a divorce, that's an asset that they own. So I think you need to be very careful and cautious about adding someone other than your spouse to a joint tenancy account. So, again, uh, joint tenancy can work, but it's really not an alternative to the living trust in most, most cases. The next way you can get uh, assets to your family without pro, uh, without probate and without a living trust or in conjunction with a living trust are beneficiary designations. Beneficiary just means that the asset is some kind of an asset that is held by a third party that you can de- designate who gets it when you die. For example, you can have a checking account or some kind of financial account and you can say, um, I want to name a beneficiary on this account. Most banks and credit credit unions will do this for you. So when I die, that goes to my son, Jimmy. This is better than joint tenancy because it's only effective uh, when you die, and you can change it. Whereas with joint tenancy, as I stated above, you can't change that really without the consent of the beneficiary. They're an owner when you put them on there. These are also called pay-on-death accounts. Other beneficiary designations are IRAs, 401ks, and life insurance. Just be careful uh, in working with those beneficiary designations because you want to make sure you don't put minors on those kind of designations because, again, we're going to have court involvement because minors can't own property. So we need to appoint a guardian for them. The court gets involved. And we have a lot of costs and expense. So make sure that you take care of your living trust and also your beneficiary and other matters to avoid a problem for your family. So once again, this is Barry Adams, and that's all about 
How to Avoid Probate, also called The Pitfalls of Probate. Thank you for listening.